0: Welcome to Oil Spills. My name is Derek Van Deese of the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun. I'm joined with Jim Matheson, a beat writer for the Edmonton Oilers for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun. And we're going to talk about trade deadline. It came and went. It was very quiet for some teams and other teams were very busy. The Edmonton Oilers themselves were very quiet on the deadline day. It didn't make a deal. Um, Keith Gretzky said that he was kind of working on a few, but uh, Jim... Are you surprised the Oilers didn't do anything or, or what was your call, kind of sense of, of the Oilers going into this trade deadline?
1: I think I think they were kind of caught on the fence. If they'd been definitely out of the playoffs, like 12 points out, I think it would have been major sell mode for Keith Gretzky, but they're kind of on the fence where they're sort of in it and he didn't want to get rid of players for like Alex Chase Chason uh, for a draft pick. And I think it, it, I, thought it, I thought it very interesting that Keith Gretzky is a is a keen judge of junior talent when, in the drafts mm-hmm. and stuff and he said, "I didn't want draft picks. Yeah. they're too far away for making the team. It's nice to have draft picks, lots of draft picks, but uh, that doesn't didn't help him for now, and he couldn't find a deal that would help him for now. I know he was interested in Connor Brown, the the Maple Leafs uh, forward who did play one year of junior with Connor McDavid in Erie, which would have been nice for Connor because they did trade away two players who were friends of Connor's before and Ryan Strome and Drake Cajula. And if they could somehow get a player like Connor Brown, uh, who is a friend of the captain, that would certainly make, bring a smile to the face of Connor McDavid. But it didn't happen, but it might happen in June.
0: Yeah, talk about Connor Brown a little bit. This is a very interesting player. Obviously, they he played with McDavid in Erie. They they put up a ton of points. I think he had 128 points in Erie with with Connor McDavid. He scored 20 goals in his rookie season with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and now he's kind of using a third or fourth line role, bottom six role. Is this a guy that you think the Oilers could could he play in a top six role with the Edmonton Oilers? Is that maybe why they kind of?
1: I think they looked at it as a guy with a pedigree who has been a scorer. Yeah, and I thought I think they feel that. There's a possibility he could play left wing or right wing uh, in the top six. Uh, I think they kind of look at it like he was a high scorer in junior as Ty Ratty was in mm-hmm. junior. Yeah. And Ty hasn't been able to get over the hump in the NHL. But perhaps Brown is, you know, certainly in Toronto has shown that he's more of a regular player than Ty Raddy. Maybe they felt that uh, Brown could come in at a good price point too, $2.1 million for one more year. So they could kind of test drive him for one year and see how he is mm-hmm. uh, if they can make that deal. And I do, I, the problem with the trading deadline is everybody's under such pressure to do something right now. If you wait till the draft, you got more time to work on it. you got more time to go to the team and say, look, I like this player. Will you take this player? And the team B says, no, I don't want that player for this player. So then you say, well, what about this player? So you have more time to, th- to think about that. And also draft picks come into play. At the draft? Yeah. So sometimes you can massage deals with a, with a draft pick and get the deal done.
0: Talking to Keith Gretzky yesterday, he said he didn't want to take away from this group because he, the group is playing hard. They are playing hard. They are playing well. They're just not getting the results. I think Monday night in Nashville was kind of similar. They played hard. didn't get the results. How kind of handcuffed was Keith Gretzky here in order to take a roster player away to get something else back? I, I, it just, It didn't seem to me that… He wanted to move the guys, the NHL guys on rosters that would help other teams. He had a lot he has a lot of guys that he'd like to move that no one else has taken. But how do you see him kind of being handcuffed in that regard that he didn't want to sell out his team when they're when they're trying to make this playoff
1: push? Well, yeah, you're right. He doesn't have much depth past the first three players that we all know who they are, McDavid, <laughs> Dreisidel, and Nugent Hopkins. And while Alex Chason is having a career year with 17 goals, he only has one goal in 2019. Yeah. So I think if Alex is, had been still, if Alex had say 23, 24 goals now, I think uh, the market for Alex might have been a little higher and then he might have looked at it. And again, if they were out of the playoffs, it would have been easier for him. But yeah, right. There's only so many uh, weapons in in uh, the order's gun rack and, and chase on is still one of those. So if you trade chase on for another, player he has to be a player that can actually score a goal and yeah. the orders don't have any of those and last night's game in in Nashville hammered at home as hard as the orders worked you still got the feeling watching the game that Nashville had more offensive players and they would somehow find a way to win the game and they did win the game but the orders got an unbelievably good game from uh, Leon Dreisettle. I thought he was the best player on the ice by a mile. Yeah, he was outstanding, uh, and he dragged everybody else around with him. But you know, you, you have to deal with what you got. And Keith Gretzky, I think is, I think he's a breath of fresh air, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't want to slag Peter Shirelli, but he kept everything so close to the vest. You never got any information out of Peter, S- even little background stuff. Uh, so you would kind of know what was going on with the team. You got very little out of Peter, whereas Keith is, you know, more forthcoming. You know, he's, if, if he's going to make a trade, he's not telling you, "I'm trading this player for that player." Yeah. But you still get a, a feel for what he's thinking. And I think, you know, it, I know they're looking for other general managers. Well, they better keep, keep keep Keith Gretzky in the loop here. You know, with the new management team coming in, because I think he's really good at what he does.
0: Do you think Keith Gretzky should deserve maybe an opportunity to be the general manager of this team?
1: I do. Yeah. I think he deserves a, a, at least the right to be interviewed. Yeah. You know, that might just be an obligatory, <laughs> we're going to interview Keith because you're working for us now kind of thing. But it, it's this age old story. Sometimes the thing you've got right under your own eyes is better than all these other p- people somewhere else. And you, you know, it's the shiny new object somewhere else. He's got to be better than what we got here. The yeah. problem is the perception is that the Oilers are a fairly insular group, and and they get the blinders on about their own players, and they need they need a, a new general manager who can come in and look at the roster and says this is wrong from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, which is also a you know not a problem not a bad thing either. But so was Peter Shirelli. Yeah, he came from Boston. He took remember when he came in, he said I need one year to look at the roster, see what I like, what I don't like. First thing he didn't like was Taylor Hall. Yeah. I'm trading Taylor Hall, so that didn't work out real well in terms of um, how good Taylor's been in New Jersey before getting hurt this year. So should he get an interview? Absolutely. Should he be in the running? Absolutely. Will he get it? I would say the odds are less than 50-50 <laughs> yeah. because I think there's going to be some really good People want to be the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. You know, one of those names we haven't really run up the flagpole. I think if St. Louis Blues had continued to stumble, Doug Armstrong would have been all over this job too. I think Ken Holland in in uh, Detroit will probably be, we haven't really mentioned him much either, but mm-hmm. if Steve Eisenman comes in next year, Kenny Holland you know, be out of work too. So there's going to be lots of people looking for this job.
0: When it comes to Keith Gretzky, I, I agree with you. He's a very, very bright hockey guy. He you know, he evaluates talent well. Um, but I don't think they've, the Oilers have made any bones that it's it's right now Keith Gretzky, Craig McTavish, and Scott Housen are running the show. And I think for a lot of Oilers fans, they may be a little leery that Craig McTavish and Scott Housen now are back to positions of where they're making decisions on player personnel because... I don't want to blame them all, everything on them, but they were at, there at the beginning. They were there at the very beginning, making player personnel decisions that not necessarily worked out, and you know, for lack of a better term, they they helped create this mess. They got they got let go, and now they're back. And I know the trust perception. Them to, to, I know the
1: perception with the fan. They always want let's get rid of everybody who has any any affiliation with the owners. Yeah, and and to a degree. That's fine. It's not like the Oilers in the last thirteen years have been, you know, in the conference final six times. Yeah, you know, they've made the playoffs once. So you looked at you look at the at things from a, from a Oilers fans perspective and say, let's just get somebody new in here. But they have to be very careful who they're bringing in. You know, it, he still has to. I think it's funny. Who do they hire? Do they bring somebody else in who hasn't been a general manager before? And say, okay, now you put your stamp on this, or do they bring in a more established guy who knows what he's doing as a general manager? Yeah. So, they had that with Peter Shirelli. Uh, before that, Craig McTavish had not been a general manager before. Yeah. Uh, Steve Tambellini had not been a general manager before. Kevin Lowe, certainly in that one year in 2006, was unbelievably good at getting players to play for the Oilers. I mean, they, every movie made was a great one. So, I don't know. It's… Sweeping out the old. I mean, I'm sure that the fans would like them to sweep out everybody but Joey Moss, to be honest, who has <laughs> any affiliation with the, with the old with yeah. the old crew. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's always as easy as that.
0: There, there's two ways to look at this management structure right now, the way they have it with, with, with Keith Gretzky and Craig McTavish and Scott Housen. You have two guys that have been general managers in the NHL, Scott Housen and, and Craig McTavish. So they have that experience, you can say that maybe they've learned from their mistakes. So I think in the sense as a team, would you bring them back as a team? Or would you say, I'll give you Keith Gretzky, but then Keith Gretzky hires his own assistant general manager?
1: Uh, I think any general manager who comes in is going to hire his own assistant general managers. Yeah. So I don't. I think it's just a given. He's going to want his own guys. I mean, obviously there's value to McTavish and, and, and Housen. They've been general managers before. hmm and certainly you know the perception is that they're part of the the problem not the solution yeah but i think we're kind of jumping the gun i think any general manager that's coming in is going to want his own guys to help him that's the way it works
0: general manager comes in though he looks at this roster and to be honest i if, if i was a gen- guy coming in i look at this roster and i go okay well we got to get rid of some some anchors on this roster and and some some dead weight I look at that Milan Lucic contract. Now, you're the new general manager coming in. Do you have to buy out Lucic? No yeah, you have that? to
1: trade Lucic if you see, don't feel he can help your team for somebody else's player, player X, who's not playing in their team and is is, you know, eating up money but not playing in the team. So it's got to be one of those deals. If you decide that that Lucic can't play in your team, you trade the six million dollars for somebody else's four million dollars. Yeah, uh, and maybe the the term on the contracts left isn't quite the same. But to do to if they want to trade Milan Lucic, they're going to have to throw in a player to make another team say, "Yeah, we'll take Milan." And I think Milan still has value as a as a leader in the room. And I think in his case, when he's doing. The the banging and the skating and the and the defending of players, I think he's still fine, but he's just completely lost his offensive game. Yeah, and if he was three million dollars a year, fine, but he's six million dollars a year, and in, in a cap world, you know, even at 80 million, 6 million of into eighty is not ten percent, but it's you know, eight percent or whatever, and you need, you need more flexibility there.
0: That's the thing. He's got four years left on the contract at six million dollars. Um, if you kind of went to buy that contract out, I think the owners would still be paying a lot, a, a lot. They'd still <laughs> be paying, they'd be paying 3.6 next year, 5.6 the following year, 4.1, 5.6. And then it drops down to, um, 625, $625,000. Cause you that now you got to extend that over eight years. So but now I, you're going to have Vinay Luchich on the, on the books for eight years. You got a
1: computer there, click on, on, uh, the buyout for Scott Darling in, uh, in Carolina, so it probably be- well he's got two years left at four million dollars, but the buyout on him I don't know how, how how much that would be in terms of paying him for the next two years. If you bring, I mean, the owners don't want Scott Darling to play goal for them, but no. if that's the deal, I'm sure Carolina will be trying very hard this summer to get some team to take Scott Darling. Yeah, they're yeah. not they're not paying a guy four million dollars to not play. So
0: yeah, Darling will have yeah two years left at four million dollars a year. Uh, and you buy him out, then yeah, you're looking at 1.2 next year, 2.3 the following year, and then basically 1.1 the last two years. So, so yeah, it's extending che- it over. It's that. a lot cheaper. It's a than, lot cheaper than, than, than
1: that than Milan's. But you know, I, I'm kind of torn with Milan. If, like I said, if he was making three, fine. Yeah. And there's lots of guys making three million dollars, and they and they morph into a certain role on a hockey team. But it's the six million dollars, and he's not giving that money back. No, I mean, they signed him for that that contract, but it's a it's an anchor around Milan's neck, making that six million dollars. The perception is that he's certainly not giving them six million dollars worth of offense for that money.
0: The new GM, whoever he is, there's lot there's a lot of worthy candidates out there. There's there's like you're saying there's there's guys that have been around, and then but there's a lot of assistant GMs around the league who. You know, sometimes for the lack they do a lot of the grunt work for the GMs and they're ready to take over their own teams. I guess, do the owners look at guys like that, guys that have kind of been in behind the scenes a little bit and doing all that kind of work? Well, and-
1: that, I mean, that's what Buffalo did. They hired Jason Botterell, who'd been an assistant with Jim Rutherford for, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and so far, it looks like Jason's doing a pretty good job. Uh, you're right. The assistant GM, in a lot of cases, does a lot of the, the work you have to be a combination scout, uh, sounding board, whatever for the for the general manager. Um, you know, guys that I would consider in that boat are Kelly McCrimmon in, in um, Vegas, yeah. Norm McIver in Chicago, Billy Garen in Pittsburgh. Former players who are assistant general managers, and there are assistant general managers too who are only cap guys. That's all they do is to look yeah. after the cap. And then there's players like that who, and former players and assistant GMs who I think could be GMs. But how do you really know about an assistant until you give them the job? Well, yeah. That's- Jim Benning was an assistant general manager in Boston. Yeah. And they made him a general manager. So I don't think you can be a, let's put it this way I don't think you can be a general manager in the National Hockey League unless you've worked as in player ops or or assistant GM for 10 years before somebody says, yeah, okay, you're a general manager. I don't think Ken Holland got the job as a GM, you know, in a heartbeat. And I know Doug Armstrong was an assistant in Dallas for several years before he became a GM. Now, Ron Hextall too. Yeah. Forgot. There's, there's, you know, he was assistant to Dean Lombardi for six or seven years in LA.
0: Yeah. There's, like I said, there's a lot of good names out there. And now you're looking at Bob Nicholson making this hire. Now he's, he's, he made the last hire, and, and 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 to Bob Nicholson's defense, the last hire. I don't think a lot of people criticized him on the last hire. Everyone thought that Peter Shirelli was a good hire, that he was a smart hire, that he was the guy available. And I think, I think a lot of us said, you know what? He made a call. He saw that Peter Shirelli was available. Got rid of Craig McTavish. Brought in Peter Shirelli, which was, lack of a better term, was a was a pretty ballsy move. Like that's something that you know that showed leadership to be able to kind of do that. It didn't work out in the end. But now, are you saying, okay, well, your last move didn't work out. You trust him to make the next move, like that's the, the or is this kind of going to be um, by committee thing? Like who's making I, I, these calls? I, I, it's the
1: same with you. I have no idea. It can't. Bob can't be working in a vacuum here, hiring this guy by himself. Yeah, you know, it's got to be somebody else uh, helping him out here, and I don't know who he's talking to to get compile the list of who he should be talking to, you know. Yeah. But there's there's many, many people. And I Bob Bob's history is that he that he worked for Hockey Canada. He knows a lot of people who have worked for Hockey Canada from the NHL. He knows lots of people. So I don't think he has a problem phoning anybody up and saying, what about this guy? What about this guy? You know, another name we should throw out there is Sean Burke. Um, currently a pro scout in Montreal, but he was been the general manager of of a couple of Canadian teams at the world championships. Yeah. And I think he's ready to be, if nothing else, an assistant GM in the NHL and he's a smart guy. So I think he'll lean to guys that he knows from the hockey Canada. Yeah. First, you know what I think he'll do? His first call will be to Steve Eisenman and says, okay, you're not working now. Do you want to be the GM? I would I would cut everybody else out of the chase right now. Yeah. And start with Iserman and say, what do you think? And if Iserman says no, then I would go to – if I'm Bob Nicholson, I, I would go to Steve Iserman and say, well, who do you think I should hire? Yeah. Who are the six guys in the business who I should be talking to? Yeah. Very successful general manager, not, an assist, not a general manager right now. So you, you wouldn't be going to say Ken Holland or Doug Armstrong and say – Give me your tips on, on your your confreres here. (laughs) Who should I be hiring? You know, this would be a guy who's been a general manager and very successful, who would have a a good feel for who could be a general manager. That's what I.
0: That would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot of sense to go out there, and and you have to kind of get opinions of of people, and and you're going to get obviously differing opinions and and things like that. Um, But yeah, that would make a lot of sense to go to Steve Eisenberg and say. Hey, help me out here or help us out here. Let's
1: Do you want you know, the job yeah. first? Or if you don't, yeah, then tell me who I should be talking
0: to. Yeah. Would there be any chance of Steve Eisenman taking the job
1: here? I would doubt it because I think it seems to me he moved back to Detroit because his family was there. And if he takes any job as the Detroit job and he's very close to Chris Illich, who runs the Red Wings now, Mike's son. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I just don't see it. So, I think he, it's almost like he took a year's sabbatical off, a sabbatical, and then he, he'll get recharged again uh, with the Red Wings. But, oh man, that's a, that's sure wanting to be the Red Wings general manager right well, now, the way they're moving players out.
0: Well, that's the thing. It looks like he's the heir apparent to Kenny Holland in Detroit, which would be a pretty good score for Detroit. And just going back to, I guess, this is going to be, this is going to take some time and some process, but sometimes you don't have a lot of time because now the trade deadline, they got through the trade deadline, they're going to get through the end of the year. And then suddenly it's going to be hey, draft time, scouting time.
1: I agree with you. You have to have a general manager in place, I think by first of June. Yeah. Drafts at the third week of June, you can't go into the draft with no general manager. And then your interim guy picks the players and stuff like that, and he's making the trades, and then you bring the general manager in. I don't think it works that way. I think you. I think before the season ends, I think Bob Nicholson has to talk to a few people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't just wait till April seventh. No. <laughs> say, okay. Yeah. Now April seventh to May seventh to June. We got two months here to interview people, and then we want a general manager. It's I. You know. I saw a quote today saying, "Well, maybe we can wait till July." Teams don't even wait till July to when they get looking for a coach. They want a coach at the draft yeah. who does nothing. Yeah, you know, so they need a general manager. I think by first of June.
0: Well, they can't wait till July and have go through free agency and not have a general manager. You can't.
1: You can't. You can't be telling Keith to run the store here and then say, oh, by the way, now tap him on the shoulder and say, move aside here, yeah. bringing in somebody else.
0: Exactly. Thank you very much. So, and 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 you're right. I think the Oilers would be if they don't give the job to Keith Gretzky. And they bring in somebody new. I think some sort of caveat there has to be that you have to keep Gretzky on your staff because he's is very valuable to this whole organization right now. He's kind of keeping everything together, isn't he? And now that Peter Shirell he's gone, I
1: think this is. I think this is Keith's coming out party as as a hockey management guy. Yeah, he's been kind of in the shadows there for several years, and and being Wayne's brother. Yeah and you're never going to escape the fact that you're the brother of the best player ever played uh but Keith forged his own career in, mm-hmm. in management and done a pretty good job of it and i think he's I, I i think there's kind of like a inner circle of assistant general managers in the NHL who all know one another yeah and they're buddies and they see one another in the rinks all the time and there there's kind of like this little satellite group yeah there's these the gms who deal with them, you know, with the other guys all the time, and then there's the assistants who are in the rinks all the time, and, and there's kind of like a satellite group. And I think you have to get yourself out there so the other GMs in the league know that who you are too. Yeah, I find it interesting that Keith made two trades right now, and none was with the Boston Bruins, who we used to work with, <laughs> and he would know Don Sweeney pretty well. Yeah, too. so because they were assistant GMs, They're, you know, are in the management group with Jim Benning before. Uh, he has, however, worked, made a deal with his good friend Jim Benning, you know Gagne for Spooner's. So. Yeah,
0: and that's actually worked out well for the owners. Has not Gagne come in? He he looks like he's got new life. I think he knows that he's this might be his last shot to be an everyday NHL. He's got another year on his contract
1: after this one. But. Sam's a smart guy. He is actually a, when I talk to Sam Gagne, I he screams out when my career is over, I'm going to be in management working for a team. Yeah, I'm a smart guy. I'll work at it uh and you know get into player development or player ops or whatever yeah you know his dad he learned hockey from his dad dave he's been around rinks his whole life and he's a smart guy you know and he's another player that that when his contract's up after next year at 3.25 if he still has some game left i think he's he would certainly play for less than 3.25 yeah. to stay in the NHL.
0: Well, I thought it was a good trade. You talk about guys that are smart and players that you look – that are going to go into management. To me, Sean Horkoff screamed that, didn't he? Sean yeah. Horkoff was a very intelligent
1: he, man. Great. Todd Marshawn was a very intelligent guy when yeah. he was here. And they're both in it. So that's the path that players have to go to see if they want to work long hours. Yeah, You start in player development uh, and then work your way up.
0: Well, just on an end note here, the Oilers woke up this morning after a a pretty gritty effort in Nashville on Monday night, Uh, they are still seven points back. Seven points back in the playoffs. It's amazing to me that they've kind of been able to hang around and everyone's been able to hang around. And realistically, do they have a shot here? If they put a run together, if they can win four or five in a row, is it possible? Now you're getting Connor McDavid back going into Toronto. Can they string can they get that six game winning streak that may get you right there if you need it?
1: Realistically, I would say no. Uh, they needed that extra point last night. Yeah. They needed to win the game in the shootout, you know, against a good team, a really good home team in the NHL too, Nashville. Yeah. Considering how well they played to only get one out of it, you know, they needed two. They didn't get two. Now they're playing Toronto. A really good team. They play a bad team in Ottawa, but then they play a team in Columbus that just got, you know, Duchesne and Zingle (laughs) and McQuaid on defense and stuff. That's going to be a really tough game to win. So they needed two. They need two points out of every game they play now. Um, I guess it's nice to say if we can get one, that's better than none, but they need two. And it's, it's unfortunate they don't play Minnesota again. Yeah. They don't play Dallas again. They've played them already. Those are the teams that that are you know in the wild card spots. They don't play them, and it's nice nice that they've got some games left against the Pacific Division teams after this East Coast thing. Yeah, so they can knock off some of them. But the teams that are already in the wild cards, they don't play them. You look at the teams above them:
0: Chicago, Vancouver, Arizona, Colorado, Minnesota, Dallas. They didn't do anything at the deadline. They didn't do anything to get themselves better to make themselves. So no, Dallas
1: better. did, but then the guy broke his arm. Yeah, Zuccarello. exactly.
0: He didn't broke his arm. Um, so, I, to me, opportunity is there. It's just a matter of the owners taking it. But the owners didn't do anything to improve their roster either. So, they're going to have to get it done with this group of players.
1: You're right. They, this group of players, and they're not touching the guys in Bakersfield. No. They're going good. They're not suddenly bringing up a couple of young guys uh, to give them a shot, give them a sniff. They want those guys in Bakersfield winning every night. And so far, they win every night.
0: They are. 17 in a row for-, for the Tied Honduras. for the
1: second longest- Streaking in American League history. Yeah.
0: So they're doing Jay Woodcroft and uh, Dave Manson doing a great job down there. And to touch on Bakersfield, we, we asked Keith obviously yesterday about Jesse Pugliarvi and he can't go down to Bakersfield now. He's on injured reserve. He missed the deadline to to set the rosters. and
1: He's getting checked out by the doctor today in wherever it is. I presume it's at that Cleveland clinic where they tend to send all the players. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably torn meniscus in his knee or something like that and they want to which might need surgery and he wants to go down to the there to see if that is indeed the case.
0: So he may not have been available anyway. Basically, is, is the situation. So it's it's, it's not necessarily they blundered this situation. He got hurt, maybe ripped up his knee and he might be done for the year anyway. So
1: Yeah, and <sighs> it was was not it's not like Jesse was was racking up the points so offensively to help him a whole lot anyway. And but going down to Bakersfield would have been would have been good for him on a team that's winning lots of games.
0: Well, that's it for today. You can subscribe to Oil Spills on Apple Podcasts. I'm Derek Van East. Thanks for listening.